This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Doing well, Sean. How are you? Doing well, Derek. Uh, We're now, this is Thursday, so we're two days out from Kentucky, Georgia. Uh, We've had interviews with Mark Stoops this week, Eddie Grand, Brad White. I guess I'll start with this. We've not talked a ton this week, but what's your feeling right now as we're sort of two days out from uh, from Kentucky, Georgia, Derek? It's a game probably that you probably a team you didn't want to see on your schedule with all the the questions Kentucky has on offense right now. But uh, this game has to be played at some point, and it's this week. Yeah, uh, the way it lines up on the schedule, like you were just saying, isn't isn't great for a week that has had some question marks at quarterback. as of yesterday, the SEC teleconference that Mark Stoops was on on Wednesday, he said that Terry still uh, has an injury, a minor injury, but that it would be reassessed yesterday. My thinking is, assuming Terry did not practice yesterday, which I don't think he did, that's three days he would have missed. So at this point, it's hard to see anybody besides Joey Gatewood uh, being the starting quarterback. So not a great – First uh, game <laughs> for Joey to have to play at least a first start. But uh going to be an interesting week for Joey because really I think it's the first time in his entire career, even going back to Auburn, that he would have prepared this week as the starter. So that kind of dynamic I think will be interesting. And, you know, Georgia's, I'm sure at this point, they probably kept something in for Terry. But, Sean, do you think the game plan in Gurley has to be that much different, though, when you're preparing for Terry Wilson or Joey Gatewood, considering they're both pretty similar in their style? No, I don't think the game plan will really change much. The only thing I think that might change is you you might see, actually you might see Kentucky have more success with some of those quarterback runs, honestly, with some yeah. of the power runs and things that they try to call. I think that's the one upside to having Joey is I think he'll be better in some of those short yardage situations. And we've seen this year that Eddie Grand likes to call the quarterback run, and they've tried to keep that you know that element of Lynn Bowden in the offense. And that, I think that's what I'm most interested to see, Derek, is. How much does Kentucky's offense change? Does it look better? Does it look the same? Or do you think that with it being Georgia that we kind of have to hold off on exactly our reaction another week or so until we really know what it's going to look like with Joey Gatewood? Because, I mean, let's 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 just go into this thinking they're going to struggle to some extent. I mean, it's Georgia's defense. It's an elite defense. Absolutely. So do you think that fans should hold off a little longer? before they react to exactly what this offense looks like Saturday with Joey? Yeah, it's going to be hard figuring out how to evaluate this game, I think, for Joey, just because it's probably the best defense they're going to face all season. 
in Georgia and it's his first career start, you know, how how he prepares this week, things like that, where he is on a mental state, knowing that he's going to be, you know, it's pretty much his game, I think, at this point, for sure. It's not official yet. I think I think we'll probably hear that from Mark Stoops tonight, that uh, they're going to be rolling with Joey. So how he comes into this game uh, is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be, whether it goes, if it goes bad, it's just hard to say because, he will get all next week as a probably as the starter unless something happens with Terry where they want to go back that route. I mean, really, unless it's just a complete disaster and the offense looks even worse than last week or they just look hopeless, I think you feel pretty comfortable going with Gatewood at least through the bye weekend into Vanderbilt. And given some of the comments, I wouldn't be surprised if Bo Allen starts to get some work I'd heard over there. That Obviously, I mean, he's – I think it's pretty much shaping up. Again, we're, we're – just assume when I'm talking that I'm under the assumption that Joey – that Terry's not playing basically Saturday. Just operate under that assumption because I think that's where this thing's going. He's not going to be playing. Well, that's the thing. Like, if he hasn't practiced to this point. Here it is Thursday. We won't know anything until, like, 5 p.m. tonight. Derek, even if he gets out on the field and practices today, there's no way that they're going to go with Terry with Thursday pretty much being – I'm assuming today's a light day and tomorrow is a walkthrough. So like, what are you what are you really getting out of that? It has to be Joey, right? And then, yeah. two, even if Terry's available Saturday, is Terry the backup Saturday or is Bo the backup Saturday? I mean, given that Bo's been getting those live reps, that's yeah. what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. You can't just you can't walk through this. There's no way you can walk through a week and then put somebody out there against Georgia. It had to be somebody that's getting some live reps. Uh, so I'll ask you this. And then we'll get into what Eddie Rod- or what Eddie Rodriguez, Lord have mercy, what Eddie Grant said about Chris Rodriguez. Can you imagine if his name was Eddie Rodriguez? What a name that would be. But uh, talking from that aspect of things, do you think that we'll know more about what the second half of the season will look like Saturday than what we do right now? It's it's hard. I know that's a hard question to ask, but do you think that maybe – this will be the, the turning point with where they flipped and you'll see some new guys take the field and some key moments maybe, and then they'll try to, I guess, just get through the last four games with some guys that's going to get some reps this Saturday? I'm going to say the shift for sure starts at running back with Rodriguez. I think I think he's going to be the lead back, the featured back this weekend. Um, it'll be interesting if Cavassier can play. If Cavassier doesn't go, I still think you'll see a lot of A.J. Rose the way they are with loyalty towards guys and guys they trust in a game like this, I feel like even though there has been a little bit of shifting on the depth chart, I still think that like that wide receiver, I still think you're going to see most of the guys who have played this year. This just isn't really the game to break in a whole new, you know, wide receiver core with a, with a new quarterback pretty much. So I think those guys will stay the same on the outside, but moving forward, like I'd say through the bye week and into the Vanderbilt game, that's when you'll see, Pretty much probably Michael Drennan become a full-time guy. I think Isaiah Cummings will start getting a lot of reps. And either Joey or Bo, I think, is where this thing's going to be going either way. Even No matter what Terry, how his injury heals up, whatever he decides to do. Um, I think Vanderbilt will be the better representation. Saturday, I think they're just trying to try to get through it and hope that you know Georgia's offense is not a juggernaut. So probably, even though they have you know, very talented players, it's not – you know they're not really lighting anybody up this year, basically. So, so I think Kentucky feels good about its defense. Maybe you can keep this somewhat low-scoring game, but I just don't know that Kentucky can muster up the offense to 
And there's some there's some questions on both sides at the quarterback position, right? Yeah. Like this is a game where I don't think either team really knows exactly what their quarterback situation is going to look like Saturday. Uh, but you did mention Rodriguez kind of being the lead back in this offense now. Eddie Grant, what did you think about Eddie Tuesday? Pretty much admitting that it was a fair question for people to wonder why he hasn't, you know, kind of gotten the workload that I think everyone outside of Eddie kind of right at the, to this point probably thinks he should have. Yeah. And it's because Eddie said that the last two games, Chris has gotten the most reps, but just be, like, uh, what was the split at Tennessee? They ran 36 they, plays Saturday. Well, yeah, you know? like, okay, like, that's the thing. They ran 36 plays. And even I think at Tennessee, I think Rose still had double-digit carries, right? I'm he thinking did. that was a game. So he might have more reps, but if it's three more, <laughs> you know, then it's not – the thing what people are saying is, like, Rodriguez needs, like, with smoke out, what are you thinking, like 75 80% of the carries at least? I would say is probably if, what people are saying. If they get Rodriguez to 20 carries a game, I think they have a good chance at winning football games. Yeah, like if I you're do. running 30 run, like you're gonna have 30 running plays a game. Like Chris needs at least 20 of those is where people yep. are getting at. Like it doesn't need to be like four more carries a game than what Rose is getting. So depending on what happens, I mean, it's unfortunate for some of these seniors. Mainly, mainly Rose is pretty much all I'm thinking about, and Terry to some extent, depending on what happens with him and his injury. But if you're two and four after Saturday, you, know, you have a winnable game against Vanderbilt. I'm not saying to totally scrap anything that involves AJ Rose, but in a free year, and we keep talking about this, and it'll probably be an even bigger theme as the year goes on. Like there, you can't really for the future of the program. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to keep playing older guys who aren't going to be here next season, who aren't overwhelmingly the best at their position. And Rose is not the best player at his position anymore. So for a guy like him, I mean, I think he's a good teammate. I think he'll accept whatever role Kentucky gives him. I think he'll keep playing a little bit, but that is the one spot this week. So go back to your question. I do think, I think Rodriguez is actually going to start. I really do. And I think he's going to, I think it's finally going to become his type of offense where he's the featured back and that's who they play through. Do you, do you think they throw it first play of the game? <laughs> play action, go route to Josh Ali, see what happens. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he'll do, honestly. First play, like maybe an RPO type thing, give Joey a, a chance to read the defense. And I don't know the way to attack this Georgia defense. I mean, they're so good against the run. That's Kentucky's – when Kentucky wants to commit to the run, it generally can be successful. Uh, but against a defense like this, it's going to be tough. I was trying to think – and it's hard to say last year because of the weather at Georgia – but Bowden rushed for close to 100 yards last year, and I think Georgia held every single opponent, like an individual player, under 100 yards, I think, all last season. That might have changed against LSU in the SEC championship. I really don't remember. But I think for a while, Bowden had the most yards against anybody on Georgia's defense. So I was wondering if they would try something similar to that, just with go, uh, Joey. Joey running most, Joey Gatewood running most of the uh, offense. But I'm not sure. I think he's looked pretty good as a runner whenever he's been out there and – I don't know. I, I think you won't see a huge switch up in the offense. I mean, obviously there are going to be things that Joey probably is more comfortable with versus Terry, and that's up for that's up to Grand to figure out how to use them. But I don't. I think you'll see a lot of still short passing things like that, still the bubble screens, things like that that they've been doing. But who knows how successful it'll be. So we we've established that Kentucky has Goey Jatewood and Eddie Rodriguez today. So I mean, I'm sure. 
after the way play calling and some things and frustration, I'm sure Kentucky right now would probably would have taken uh, Eddie Rodriguez as offensive coordinator up to some point. But, uh, Derek, you and I were talking, this was late Tuesday night, and you went back and watched some of the game against Southern Miss from Eddie Grant's first year at Kentucky there. And I went back and watched the highlights, too. It's a completely different offense. It is entirely different than what we see now. And, of course, that's the year that it changed once Steven Johnson became quarterback. But even they did some things that year, too, Derek, that they're not doing now with the passing attack. I mean, they did let Steven throw the ball some. I mean, he obviously put up a lot of yards against Louisville that year. But there was one thing that stood out to you that I don't know if anyone's ever mentioned, <laughs> that, that Benny Snell was on the field in the running back spot before the New Mexico State game. Yeah, even I think if you talk, I, I think probably where the story uh, picks up, at least in Benny's mind, is because the first time he got a carry, touched the ball, recorded a stat, was against New Mexico State. But I had fallen under this line of thinking, too, that Benny only played special teams the first two games of the year. Well, sure enough, I'm watching those highlights, and on Kentucky's fourth touchdown of the first half, and Drew Barker threw it to Garrett Johnson for a touchdown, Benny Snell was in the game those first two plays of that drive. So had that pass fallen incomplete, had something else happened, Benny might have recorded a carry there. But I, I did not know that, and I was, my mind was blown. that Because uh, I've gone these four years, five years, however long it's been now, thinking that he was not out there. But that was a, uh, a crazy thing to go back and watch. I think I'd actually watched that game again since, like, it happened for sure, and I just had never noticed it. But, no, you're right. That offense was – man, they were slinging that thing with Drew Barker in there. Threw four touchdowns in the first half. He was making plays, getting out of the pocket. He was making plays from the pocket. You know, the way they called this, you know, I, I think probably the closest comparison, Sean, to be completely honest with you, is probably whenever Kentucky played Florida uh, with Sawyer Smith last year. That's probably as similar as it had looked uh, to that day where you're getting a lot of guys involved. I know Justin Rigg had some catches last year. Maude Wagner, Lynn Bowden, of course, Josh Ali. Like, those are all guys off the top of my head against Florida last year. I remember making plays. And – the kind of ball share targets, whatever you want to say, it seems in the Terry Wilson Terry Wilson era has been very focused. That Lynn Bowden was your obvious number one in 2018. I don't know who finished second on the team in catches. Probably Conrad, maybe someone like him. Yeah. But I think moving forward, all these athletes Kentucky has at the wide receiver room, I think you're going to see them become much more involved. And maybe it won't be this year, but I do think going into next year, you will see a more balanced spread it out, get some more guys involved versus what we've seen the last few years. Well, and I would, for you all listening to this podcast, I'd love for somebody, Derek, that has time to go back this year, start with the Auburn game, and chart mm -hmm. how many passes Kentucky has actually made beyond the line of scrimmage downfield. How many yeah. passes have gone east-west and how many have gone down the field. I would love just to know the number because I don't think it's very many that have gone downfield. I guarantee you it's probably more screen passes than anything else. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, Auburn had a little bit of success throwing down the field, a little bit. Ole Miss, I have a hard time remembering just because they ran it so much. Uh, but you could go back to Missouri last week, and the touchdown pass to Ali was downfield. Ali the also got a pass slant. was incomplete. Yeah, I mean, they attempted a few up the field, but in terms of completions, like, well, one, they only completed, what, five passes? I think the whole game. Screen to Rose, screen to Ali. 
Yeah, just thinking off the top of my head, I think they only completed two passes down the field, I think. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was only two. That was as bad as it's ever looked, I think, under. They had the game against Vanderbilt a few years ago where they only threw for like 18 yards, but at a certain point they were just like, screw this, we're going to run the ball the whole time. And they never got to that point against uh, Missouri. They had a chance to, I thought, whenever they got the ball back only down seven to really commit to the run game again, but they couldn't get a first down, and Missouri pretty much kept the ball the rest of the time after that, but no, there's going to need to be a change. And I was, I had this thought today, Sean, and it's not to the same magnitude because I was watching the Clemson LSU national title game last time on YouTube and it's different. I, I, I want to make this very clear before people laugh at me. Like it's different LSU. I know they had all world talent last year. It might've been the best offense in college football history. And I'm not exaggerating. They had so many good players, but what happened last year was Joe Brady came in there and, changed the passing game around for LSU. I mean, they had they were okay Burroughs junior year. like They were fine. They could throw it a little bit. But it was a completely different offense. And I think what needs to be considered this offseason is – and it's not – I'm not saying it has to be like Joe Brady. I mean, the guy's an NFL offensive coordinator now. Like, clearly he's a very big name up and coming, probably going to be a head coach in the NFL one day. So it doesn't have to be that. But I think maybe a more focused passing type coach – can come in here and scheme things around a little bit and at least bring an improvement because the passing game's pretty much been broken the whole Eddie Guerin era. And it's not all his fault. He's never really been in a great quarterback situation. They've never really – I mean, Barker, I think you could tell just from that one half that things would have been much different if he was healthy. But it, it just feels like it needs a total revamp. Am I wrong? No. No, you're you're 100% right. And that that's why I think that – when you go back and you watch some of those games, and you all that listen to this podcast, go on YouTube and just type in any game from 2016, and it looks different. I think it even looks different from 2017, the way that they do things. I, yeah, I, something yeah, I changed. That. Something changed during that 2018 season where they stopped taking chances. They stopped kind of, you know, giving. I just feel like they don't give their guys a chance to make plays. And then yeah. I, I just want to know: Do they have guys that can make plays? down the field because if they don't then you have to address that problem somehow because what we're seeing now Derek is this this is kind of finally caught up to Kentucky at some and we knew it would at some point at some point yeah. it was going to catch up with you and the thing is Derek if they don't get it figured out it's going to it's going to haunt them over and over and over again and they're never going to really achieve what this roster is probably capable of doing elsewhere when you look around it on the defensive side at running back at offensive line you got to have all the ingredients to make something good you got to have all the pieces to make the puzzle make to have the puzzle make sense and that's what i want to know does kentucky have the pieces on this roster that they can show that they can actually have a passing attack to some extent because i think that's the biggest thing to look at the next five games sure they're going to establish the run because that they're going to have to go back to their identity but i think over the next five games you you want to be able to look and see something developing for the Mm -hmm. future so i think that's the thing to watch uh but that's pretty much covered everything for football. We'll we'll be back whenever we get something for sure on Joey Gatewood there because there's a chance probably Mark Stoops says something tonight yeah. uh, that maybe he'll confirm it. I think that this will be the last time we'll have him until Saturday after the game. So I don't think he – surely he won't let this go into Saturday and just be like, well, it's a game-time decision. We'll see. Especially if he comes out and says Terry did not practice, I think he might as well, might as well just say, yeah, Joey's the starter. But you and I will be at Kroger Field 
Saturday at noon. It's a noon game. It wasn't going to be a night game, so I know you're thrilled that it's a noon kick. <laughs> uh, if you can't make it out to Kroger Field Saturday, make it out to the Butcher's Pub with two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Derek, they're actually having a lot of Halloween events this weekend. They're having a ping pong tournament, I'm pretty sure, Friday night. Let me see here. Yep, beer pong tourney at the pub. We want all the smoke. Less than two days to register. So it's called Balls and Booze. Friday, October 30th, starts at 6 p.m. Uh, it says hydrate responsibly at the, on the on the ad here. So get out to the Butcher's Pub, play some ping pong, get in that tournament, uh, make it out there, try that buffalo chicken sandwich. That's delicious. Some of those wings, they have tacos, everything you could imagine. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. But Derek, yesterday we had Olivier Sar on media availability so we've been going through the basketball side of things for the last couple of weeks now getting player after player coach after coach it's been different usually we get our media day all in one event i actually kind of like how we're doing this because it kind of gives us a chance to breathe and get some stuff from one guy but what did you think of olivia it was the first interview that we've had with him since he's been at kentucky i think he's a really good interview you can tell he's a veteran you can tell that he's well-spoken and uh Honestly, I think that Kentucky fans are really going to like him. Yeah, I had talked to him uh, for the Cat's Paws yearbook few uh, in September. So I had talked to Olivia once before. But, no, he was, it's always good to get um, – Really, I think probably the first guy we really noticed it with, at least since I've been around, in terms of grad transfer, I guess was Reed, right? And I forget yeah. somebody – I don't know if Julius was here, but I wasn't covering it. But, like, those guys who have been in college basketball who are used to interviews – it's always a breath of fresh air on a team that is – and I think this team actually has a few decent personalities, to be honest with you. I think Terrence Clark um, always seems excited, at least, <laughs> to do interviews. But, uh, no, Olivier was a huge piece of this team. He talked a little bit about the difference in culture at Kentucky versus Wake Forest. Um, talked about when he found out that he was eligible and said he was getting treatment. Uh, and For people who aren't familiar with the Joe Craft Center, the, the treatment room – is downstairs uh and also that's where the the practice court is as well as downstairs but john calipari's office is upstairs so he said he got the phone call from from cal telling him to come up to his office he sprinted out of the room up the stairs and he said he knew <laughs> as soon as he got in the room because cal was smiling that he was eligible so i thought that was really uh, a really great story that he told just talking about the emotions because i mean he had been in a kind of a state of not knowing for like a what, long five time. months yeah. like that yeah and, so and he, he found explained his situation too. You know, he he went into detail about how he was coming back to Wake Forest to play for Danny Manning another year. Danny had convinced him, you know, that that was probably the best thing for him. And then Danny gets fired, and then here he is, and can, the Kentucky opportunity presented itself, Derek. And I don't think there ever was really another team in the running for Olivier Sar. Yeah, well, I, I had asked him that, um, and this this story will come out in the Cat's Paws yearbook, which should be sitting, getting sent to press pretty soon, still waiting on some things. But he, he said he was kind of surprised. Like, I don't know what his expectations were, but, like, Duke, I think, reached out to him, Florida, some big schools along with Kentucky, and he told me that it was just shocking, really. I guess he didn't see himself as that type of player. But so I, there I were other schools. He, there were. Yeah, Duke was one that he mentioned uh, and a few others. But – I do agree with you that I think once Kentucky reached out to yeah. him and made him know that he was kind of the missing piece, I don't think it went too much longer after that. But I don't think it was a deal, though, where, at least according to him, if you take him for his word, when he went into the portal, I think he was pretty open. Yeah. 
it it all just happens so fast though if you remember it like it's uh it's wild that when when Manning got fired his name started throwing you know being thrown out there and then sure enough when he went in the portal it was a done deal like it seemed like it was within like 24 to 36 hours that he was committed to Kentucky uh he definitely changes things for Kentucky uh I liked him though that's the first time I really you know got to hear from him and everything and I I think Kentucky fans are really going to like him uh, you saw the the video reaction from his teammates. They asked Devin Askew and all of them on BBN tonight exactly, you know, what their reaction was. And uh, I can't remember who it was. It was like had their mouth open, was so excited. Uh, it's just good news. And I think the good news is going to continue for Kentucky basketball in the next couple of days, Derek. Uh, Saturday, regardless of what happens in Kentucky, Georgia, I think Kentucky fans are going to be celebrating at some point Saturday. Uh, when Damian Collins announces his collegiate decision because the crystal ball is pretty much, if it's any indication, it, it's Kentucky for him. And then we'll have all that Saturday, and then we'll recap and get into all that next week. But there's a couple more notes before we wrap up this podcast. Staying on the men's basketball side of things, Derek, uh, 3,000 people roughly at Rupp Arena this season, 15% capacity. Not surprised. I think that, honestly, there was one point a couple of months ago where I thought it would just be an empty arena but yeah. it looks like there's going to be 3,000 people. It'll be interesting to see how far they let those people go down, how close they let those people go to the floor. I don't think it's going to be very close at all. I think they're going to go somewhere mid-lower level and up and probably even use the upper level as well. Yeah, 3,000 in that venue. I mean, you can spread them out pretty easily, I would think. Um, I don't know all the CDC guidelines, things like that, for an indoor place. It still seems like quite a few people. I mean, in an indoor place, 3,000. But – I think we'll have to see. I think that might be subject to change, um, depending on how this thing plays out with cases and safety levels, things like that. But for the plan now, I think it's, I think it's fine. I mean, three thousand and a twenty wasn't. I think it's twenty thousand five hundred now. I think it's twenty thousand five because it was twenty three thousand five, and they removed three thousand seats. Okay, so yeah, I mean, if you can get in there, good. I don't know. I, I haven't really gotten around to thinking much about how this basketball stuff's going to work out. Um, I, I think we were talking about it off air, but these multi-team events or whatever, like, seems like some of these are falling apart. They, they are. And yeah. uh, location for the – I mean, it looks like the Champions Classic. I know it's in limbo with the location. It was It was going to be Orlando, but I don't think – is that still – I saw something the other day that it could be Indianapolis, which I wouldn't mind. I would take Indianapolis, short drive instead of you know having to go to Orlando. But who knows uh, how it's going to be with media and everything? We just we have no idea what it's going to be, Derek. Usually we would be like right now we'd probably be doing the first exhibition of the Kentucky basketball season this weekend. So, I mean it's it's just completely different. <laughs> yeah, that, that's for sure. And that's the thing too. We want to let you guys know next week is going to be a different week. Because there's, it's a bye week for football, and there is no basketball. So we know everything's going to be dead. There won't be interviews with football. With uh, Mark Stoops won't have his Monday press conference for the bye week or anything like that. But we will. We have a plan for next week to have some really exciting episodes. We're we're thinking what we're going to do is go through a scouting report of each player on the UK basketball roster and reach out to some people. So I know we've not had any guests on this week. So your last guest was Scott Clark. We're going to look at getting some guests next week to come on and fill the entire week and talk about the basketball roster, and then we'll touch on Damian Collins' recruitment and some other things. Uh, Derek, there was one more note, too, that you pointed out before we got on here that it looks like Kentucky 
and Louisville on the women's side will not be playing a basketball matchup this year. So that's that's one uh, rivalry there in state that won't be played, and it's all due to COVID. Yeah. So, yep, so you'll have the football game canceled this year, of course, and then women's basketball as well. Uh, it sounded like for a little while <laughs> the men's game might not have happened, but, of course, that's very publicly been resolved. So, Who reported that, teams, by the way? Uh, the women's, it was uh, the first I saw it was Dominique Gates from the Courier Journal. Now okay. that might have come from somewhere else. That's where I saw it. But okay. I, I believe I believe it came from Jeff Balls. I think he had an interview today. Yeah, that's think, right. He did. That's right. I was. Tr- I just wanted to make sure that we credited who reported that, and I didn't. But it came straight from from Jeff. So uh, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate because that's been a fun matchup on the women's side too, and especially given the roster that Kentucky has this year, probably was setting up to be a very good game. Now, was there uh, a reason behind why they couldn't make it work? I haven't seen it. I didn't listen to his interview. So I'm trying to look here. I mean, football was very obvious. It. Like, SEC didn't want to play any outside opponents, so which is how it was. And then basketball just seems like, obviously, both programs, I think, are playing. Certainly, the men's side's playing non-conference opponents this year. So a little strange. I don't know what the reason was that they couldn't make it work. And one more thing here before we wrap up, Derek, that I want to plug here. So if you're looking for something to do tonight, turn on ESPNU at 9 p.m. and watch the Kentucky volleyball team at number nine, Missouri. I watched the entire match last night, Derek, and very entertaining. It was a late one, wasn't it? It was a late one. And the second set, the second set was ridiculous. Like it was, I'm trying to think if I could find the the score of the second set. Uh, 35 to 33. It was 35-33 okay, yeah. in the second set. Kentucky trailed. Uh, they were down one set, and then they rallied in that one to win it, and then they won three straight sets to take the match. They played Missouri again, and I actually talked to Craig, Craig Skinner this morning, was uh, texting back and forth with him, and he was talking about that they're going to need the BBN again tonight and stuff. Craig's a really good guy, Derek. That uh, that volleyball team, honestly, is one of the best programs on campus. Yep. he uh, He's been here. He's been here for a minute, and uh... – I think, what, 15 years now? Something like yeah. that? Am I wrong there? Yeah. Um, they're going for a fourth straight SEC championship this year. I mean, they're, they're in a position to do it. Or like number yeah. one or number two most of the time now, too. So that's kind of a – they've not gotten to the Final Four yet, right? They've been close. They haven't. The they got to the Elite Eight, and I know they've been to the Sweet 16 and stuff, but they're they're knocking on the door of that, the talent that they have. Uh, almost just powerhouse, a, almost. They can it is. Through. It's a really oh. fun program, and they're really fun to watch. And I – Highly recommend tune in tonight at 9 p.m. and I guarantee you, you'll enjoy the level of volleyball. I never, I didn't know a thing about volleyball when I started doing media, and it was the first UK event I ever covered. And I'm sitting there trying to write about it. I, I think I pronounced every single position wrong. <laughs> I didn't know any terminology, but I was around them enough that I, I think I went to like almost every home match that year. And I kind of, you know, I fell in love with the sport to the extent that they're really good athletes to watch up close. So I recommend it tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern time on ESPNU, Kentucky, Missouri. That's number three, Kentucky versus number nine, Missouri. So Kentucky's looking to uh, sweep the road series there and go to 4-0 on the season. Uh, But Derek and I will be back tomorrow. It'll be Mailbag Friday, so go ahead and start sending in mailbag questions. I'll get that tweet up tonight so we can give everyone plenty of time to get the questions in. And then we'll make our predictions for Kentucky, Georgia, and the rest of the SEC slate. This has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We'll catch you tomorrow.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.